From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program. If you're listening to us on 101.9 Hi FM, Hi FM.com or the Jerusalem Post, it is really nice to have you. And in this particular show, we are going to be looking at the issue of academic boycotts, a very pernicious and nasty side of the BDS movement and see how is it affecting various parts of academia around the world. Is it at, whether at institutional level, at student level, is often something that people have a look at. Uh, but we're going to be particularly talking today about how it affects the actual academics themselves. And to speak to us on the line today, we have Ken Walzer. He is a professor emeritus of Jewish studies at Michigan University, and he's also the executive director of the Jewish Engagement Network, which uh, seeks, I guess, to to deal with the issue of academic boycotts and uh, try and get proper debate and free speech flowing on campuses around the world. Ken, thank you so much for being with us on the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me. So first of all, tell us how did you get involved with this kind of work uh, at the Academic Engagement Network? Okay. Um, I was a faculty member at Michigan State University. There's two universities in Michigan, so... Uh, Michigan University is the other one, Michigan State. Um, I taught uh, history and Jewish studies, and particularly I focused on the history of anti-Semitism. And I discovered uh, late in my career that uh, I was teaching something that was not merely historical, but was contemporary public policy. Um, kind of surprised me. I didn't think um, that would happen, um, the kind of recrudescence of um, anti-Semitism was something that concerned me, concerned my students. Um, and uh, when I retired, I had an opportunity to go to work uh, in the public policy field dealing with um, uh, uh, anti-Semitism, dealing with uh, the academic boycott, dealing with the connection between those two. And so I leaped at the opportunity, and I've been doing it for two years. The academic engagement is relatively a new organization. It's headquartered in Washington. Um, we uh, uh, organize faculty on campuses to deal with uh, boycott campaigns, uh, to deal with uh, violations by the boycott of free speech and academic freedom on campus. Uh, we work uh, with faculty groups on campuses. We work with administrators on campus to deal with issues of anti-Semitism and friction between groups on campus. Um, and in two years, we've gotten incredibly busy. We've, we've grown in size. We have about 460 faculty members around the country on 180 campuses, and we're continuing to grow. Um, we've put out a number of guides. Uh, we put one out last year uh, for university leaders about how to deal with the academic boycott. Now we're finishing our second, uh, which will focus on university faculty and how to deal with uh, the academic boycott. Um, we've had two national conferences well attended. Uh, we've put a lot of uh, material out in op-ed form and in pamphlet form. Um, and we've become one of the go-to organizations to deal with uh, the academic boycott and what it stands for on American campuses. 
Now, some of the time, the BDS movement is a little bit poo-pooed in uh, Israeli circles, certainly in the age of Trump, perhaps even in American circles. But I don't think that the one aspect where it isn't is is on academic campuses where uh, it, it does have uh, quite a pernicious threat. Threat. What What is your view on the the seriousness of the academic aspect of the BDS movement? Yeah, that's a great question. I. I had the experience of talking about uh, the academic boycott in Israel, and I was stunned by the degree to which the Israelis didn't get it. Um, they just didn't understand. They thought, literally, it was something that was narrowing opportunities for Israeli scholars to go overseas. And that's true, but that's not the whole of it. What's, what's at stake with the academic boycott movement um, is the minds of the next generation of Americans. Um, basically, colleges are kind of uh, places where the next generation forms its uh, key attachments and uh, basic outlooks on, on, on matters. And there has been going on on American campuses a remarkable uh, set of campaigns uh, retailing a, a counter-narrative a about Israel, um, which is really damaging. Um, and so we, we go after uh, boycott. Uh, not merely because it narrows opportunities for Israeli academics. It narrows academic freedom in general. It uh, um, does a number of terrible things in the here and now, but most importantly, it's a, it's a campaign and a struggle for the mind of the next generation. Now, what is your view on how far this extends into the faculty? I mean, you'll certainly find this in the humanities section, but do you think that it's spread across the faculty? Do you find it in, for example, commerce or science or, or stuff like that, or is it really uh, specific no, to it's, sectors? It's, it's very, very particular. In fact, I've just written about that in the new faculty guide. Um, there are about 1,500 faculty around the country who have signed uh, boycott petitions or put their names down as endorsers for the United States Committee on Academic and Cultural Boycotts. So you're talking about about uh, a thousand and a half faculty members. Uh, they're predominantly in the humanities and the softer social sciences. Um, they're very scarce in the sciences. Um, they're very scarce in the professional school, law, communications, um, thing, medical schools, things of that sort. Uh, so one of the things that we do when we go around and organize faculty on campuses is organize across the faculty in a kind of multidisciplinary way. Uh, we don't just go to the humanities departments. Um, and uh, we've had a, a lot of luck with scientists, medical people, law school people, um, who, who are also um, perturbed by what they've seen on campus. Um, so I, I think you know, we're going to double our numbers in the next couple of years and try and get up to the same kind of numbers that BDS has. Now, one of the, the key aspects, I think, when it comes to academics is a certain kind of sensitivity because of all sectors of society, academics are scared of tenure. They're scared of, uh, I think, putting their heads above the parapet, not only on Israel issues, but just in general. Uh, so how do you go about organizing faculty who I also assume don't want to be seen as uh, Hasbara, you know, agents? Right. I, mean, I think that's the other issue when we organize. A lot of people don't want to be advocates. They don't want to be, um, they think of addressing the issue that it's only in terms of, in terms of publicity, Hasbara. Um, so, uh, we are serious. We're, we're all academics ourselves. Uh, we, we are faculty organizing faculty. 
And the way we start is that we find people on campuses who uh, are, are genuinely sympathetic or likely to be sympathetic. So we've, we began organizing um, in Jewish studies programs. Uh, I was the coordinator of Jewish studies directors in the country. Um, and so I had a list. And we began there. Um, and surprisingly, not all Jewish studies directors are interested in fighting BDS. Um, we started there. We started with law schools. We started with uh, um, the humanities. And then we moved to the sciences and had a lot of success moving people in the sciences. Um, and I think uh, we're going to keep expanding to the extent that we can provide relevant services to the network that we've established. Uh, we try to get a, a kind of a sufficient number on each campus. It only takes a nodule of about six to eight people on campus to be able to do a lot of stuff. Um, and then we have convenings in a region where we bring people on one campus together with people from other campuses so they become aware that they're part of a network. Um, we bring them together for national conferences. Um, we are starting a series of uh, uh kind of short courses uh, so that people can ramp up their, 21st, their, their literacy about 21st century Israel. Um, we uh, try and provide services also by giving people funds to uh, uh, engage in professional development. If they want to develop a new course or they want to um, uh, do some research that enable them to talk about Israel on campus. Uh, we bring in speakers. We uh, pay for programming and events. The whole idea is to get robust conversation about Israel going on on campus that's not a part of this BDS narrative. Um, it's not about settler colonialism. It's not about apartheid. It's not about um, uh, criminality. It's not about the worst country in the world. It's rather about a living, uh, functioning place that has uh, remarkably grown in, in, in 70 years of existence. Um, it's got its problems. It's got its issues. Uh, most of us are anti-occupation, uh, so we'll talk critically about Israel. But we talk about Israel as a real place um, uh, with real human beings, not some caricature that's uh, come through on the BBS literature. Now, what's your view of the fact that you know American academics, Jewish academics in general, it's such a big part of American Jewish culture, and yet we seem to be so utterly unprepared for this academic assault that we've seen from the BDS movement. What, what do you think accounts for the fact that the Jewish uh, community hasn't had some kind of infrastructure to do exactly what you're doing? Because it's basically what academics do, right? But there doesn't seem to have been before this point uh, a proper acknowledgement of an engagement with uh, the need to create academic discussion in this way. Yeah, I, I think it took, uh, you know, the, the success to a certain degree of of the BDS campaigns, the establishment of a presence, uh, it's winning in a number of smaller professional associations to make people wake up and take notice. Um, and then there are limits on how many people are willing to get involved. Uh, they're busy people. They have their specialists. Um, they focus on on what the, what is in front of them. So it, it takes a lot to move people to get involved. But when they get involved, uh, they can do significant things. I also think that uh, you know, some of the structures of American academia are, are in the hands of uh, the BDS people. Um, so if you go to Middle Eastern departments or uh, um, Near Eastern studies departments, um, 
in, in, in my experience, even some Jewish studies departments, um, there are people who uh, possess uh, the administrative chairs and seats in those places. Um, they pay uh, for people to come in. The BDS circus circuit brings in uh, speakers who retell the BDS narrative. So it's, it's in the university. Um, and it took a certain amount of that to uh, rile people up and, and, and discover that uh, this, this kind of nasty narrative has, has, has invaded the university. Um, and uh, I think uh, when we started organizing, we discovered this because people were waiting for a faculty organization. Most of the counter BDS stuff in the United States until a couple of years ago uh, was mostly focused on students, organizing students. Most of the campaigns have to do with student government. Um, it's still that way. Um, but uh, we believe that the missing ingredient was the faculty. And if we could get faculty involved in actually uh, energetically countering uh, the BDS narrative, taking these people on, we could win the argument. We don't want to shut them down. We're as committed to academic freedom and free speech as we are to opposing BDS. Uh, but we believe we can take them on and win the organs. Now, as you say, one of the key battlegrounds in terms of academic uh, fighting or dealing with the BDS narrative, as you call it, is being in the professional associations, uh, the American Studies Association, I think, uh, a number of others uh, in in the States have, have taken this up. Where do you see that particular fight at the moment? Uh, I see it in a very good place. I mean, the last year has been the turning point in, in that battle. Um, they won the very small ethnic studies and American studies and women's studies uh, kind of marginal um, uh, disciplines and professional associations um, where there's a lot of like-mindedness, a lot of sense that the academic uh, uh, vocation is tied up with being political and, um, and, and creating social action and uh, doing justice in the world. Um, but when they got to the larger organizations, the more established organizations, um, where um, the methodologies and understandings of professional identity are much more complex, um, they they ran into difficulty. Um, so uh, this past year, they got defeated in the Anthropology Association, even though they dominated it for a long time. A referendum uh, dislodged them. Um, they got defeated badly in the American Historical Association, three different efforts um, to get BDS stuff uh, passed, and they, they got defeated. Uh, and then most recently, the biggest victory of all was in the Modern Language Association, uh, where uh, they had pushed referendums, uh, uh, they pushed resolutions, excuse me, for several years running, and then they pushed the resolution this year, and instead they got a resolution opposing boycotts in general, and the referendum on that just was concluded, and they got routed pretty badly. They got defeated by more than two to one in the membership at large. And we think that battle in the professional association, not over, uh, it's not going to go away, but in the main, it's really reached a dead end for them. Um, and a, a kind of a notion of what a professional association is and should be has been reestablished um, Humanity is in crisis in the United States, and people were, were uh, revving up about Israel and Palestine when uh, a lot of humanities people can't get jobs, they're adjuncts, they're kind of gypsy scholars. Um, professional association wasn't dealing with the things in front of it in a professional sense.
now their humanities are being defunded by the Trump administration. So uh, the, the, the milieu, the environment for the battle has also shifted in ways favorable to our side. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, and we're speaking to Ken Walter about academic anti-boycott initiatives. We'll be back right after the break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. And we're talking about the battle for Israel on campus with Ken Walter. He's from the Academic Engagement Network. And we've just been discussing what it means to organize faculty when it comes to dealing with BDS issues on campus. Ken's saying that a lot of time is spent on students, but in fact, uh, more could be done in the faculty system uh, to get people going. Ken, I want to also ask you about the quality of Israel-related research. I mean, the stuff that you guys are doing is around enabling people to understand how to deal with these problems. But it also seems to me that perhaps we haven't focused maybe enough on dealing with Israel as a, a foreign policy issue, maybe Israel even as a domestic issue. Uh, perhaps our Jewish studies departments around the world are more focused on Yiddish. Do you think that there needs to be a shift in the overall research agenda that these institutions deal with in order to actually start crafting new ideas uh, and new assumptions to, to deal with some of the things that are coming out of the BDS at an intellectual level? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, there, there is a new scholarship that uh, comes with the BDS movement. Um, some, some of the BDS stuff is more substantial than just uh, um, kind of propaganda. Um, so there's a, there's a uh, literature of settler colonialism, which has uh, become prominent um, uh, on the left in the United States. And I think uh, we're, we're behind in terms of dealing with that, um, behind in terms of seeing Israel in a comparative sense with other societies. Uh, my problem with that literature is that it's an accusation. It's not merely a framework. It's an accusation. And once you use it as a framework, you're, you're kind of stacking the deck in favor of something very negative. Um, and my interest in, in Israel leads me to think that there are other comparisons that ought to be made um, that would uh, show Israel in a different light. So, for instance, um, Israel comes out of the post-war period. It's one of these post-war newly created nations. Um, it's not often thought of as one of them, but it is one of them. Um, and Israel ought to be studied in comparison to what's happened in India, what's happened in uh, other countries that were born in, in, the, in the wake of uh, the Second World War um, in terms of how it's worked on economic development, how it's worked on receiving and integrating new populations, um, the way it's uh, worked uh, in innovative ways in agriculture and water uh, and other things like that. So uh, there's a comparative agenda um, and... Uh, the settler colonial part of it is one piece of it, but that's a very narrow piece of it and stacks the deck. And there are other kind of comparative uh, approaches to Israel that I would like to see develop more um, that would show Israel in a, in a much more realistic and, and, and uh, sometimes positive way. Um, so uh, that, that's one thing. In terms of uh, foreign policy, I think we're all struggling with... Uh, 
um, the difficulty of figuring out why peace has gone nowhere um, and uh, peace processes have been uh, dead ends and uh, um, why a two-state solution, which we think is probably the only real solution, um, hasn't uh, developed or um, been found to, to find support, sufficient support on either side. Um, so we're watching that. We're watching the occupation. We're watching, um, uh, which which has to end. Um, it doesn't fit the contemporary world. Um, we're watching um, how Israel uh, deals with its own inter- internal divisions. So there's a, a need for a developed scholarship, but uh, um, right now we're busy just countering uh, what we think are fictions and fables and and false labels uh, from the BDS side. Now, what do you do when it's very popular amongst BDS academics to say, well, they're not really that interested in boycotting Israel or even, in fact, in boycotting Israeli universities. What they really are is only after individuals. And so they're only just going to boycott Israeli individuals who they think are are problematic because of the connection to the occupation or whatever, perhaps a a problematic institute. And so that's really what they're boycotting. How have you dealt with that sort of institutional versus personal division? Well, um, two different answers. Uh, number one, we think that the thing that they're most interested in is the media attention and publicity that comes from the campaigns. So they do these divestment campaigns, which have been the, the predominant campaigns in the last couple of years, asking universities to, uh, you know, divest from companies that do business with Israel. Um, they have not won a single one. There's not a single university, um, with well over 100 tries, <coughs> that has adopted uh, divestment as a formal institutional policy. Then we get students to, to call on universities to, to, to do it, but the universities don't do it. Boards of trustees, people with fiduciary responsibilities won't divest. So why does BDS persist in doing it? Because what they're interested in is not getting the university to divest. They're interested in the publicity about Israel that a battle on campus covered by the media can produce. <clears throat> so that's what we think they're primarily after. We also don't think that there's so much after individuals. Um, they, they use the boycott as a way also to spread uh, a, a teaching <clears throat> about Israel, a teaching about the Middle Eastern problem. And uh, um, in, in many cases, they even claim that they're only engaged in an institutional boycott, which doesn't address individuals. We, on the other hand, think that there is kind of stealth or secret or a, a silent boycott that goes on on campuses where some people are disadvantaged because they're either pro-Israel or they're thought to be pro-Israel, um, so they're not invited to things. They're not asked to participate in things. Um, and, the, the, you know, the university is a set of conversations where um, there ought to be many flowers blooming. Um, this is an area where conversation is one-sided. Um, the BDS pushes their arguments. We push our arguments on the other side. There's no kind of meeting of the minds. There, there's very seldom uh, events or programs or symposia um, where the two narratives are put together. Um, almost doesn't happen at all.
What's your view on how much this is a particular issue to do with the Israeli-Palestinian question, uh, particularly the boycott question and movement, and versus a sort of systematic problem within universities itself? Scholars like Jonathan Haidt, for example, arguing that there's just no more uh, alternative voices within university spaces, no more conservatives, no more uh, heterodox uh, people. And how much do you think that systematic aspect of campuses is affecting uh, this particular debate? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I think they're separate debates, but they overlap and they influence one another. Um, so I think, uh, uh, for instance, some of the ways in which the campaigns for BDS are pushed on campus are anti-intellectual, anti-academic freedom. Uh, they're anti-free speech. The BDS forces close down anyone who comes from Israel to speak. <coughs> and universities get caught in that, and they don't enforce their own conduct codes and prosecute people who uh, disrupt the order of the university. So uh, what what is what begins as a kind of political issue about the Middle East then becomes a kind of uh, larger issue about order on campus. And... Uh, there is, from the other side, from the, from the Jonathan Haidt side, there's just a, 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 a kind of totalitarian or um, illiberal bent among many contemporary students, even on the left, who uh, don't think that you have a right to speak. Um, it's like they don't know about the First Amendment, they don't know about academic freedom, uh, they don't know about the traditions of academia. And in some sense, faculty have felt fallen down on the job and terms of uh, speaking about those matters and educating students about that ma- those matters. We feel this so strongly that we're looking forward this year to starting some symposia on academic freedom and free, free speech on campuses because we think there, there needs to be a teaching about that um, that gets uh, widespread. So uh, um, we're in conversation with, with people who have talked about the free speech issue on campus, including Jeff Stone in Chicago. Um, and we're very much in, in support of what they say about the kind of present moment on campuses. It's not a good moment. Now, I'm interested also in perhaps the third piece of the puzzle. You know, we haven't covered students really too much in this uh, debate. Now, I will ask you about them later on, the extent towards which they should be dealing with faculty. But the other group of people who perhaps don't always get into this debate uh, as well as they could are perhaps donors to universities. Uh, I saw, for example, uh, a whole debate going on at uh, Cooney University in New York uh, a few months ago where donors withdrew because they felt like there was too much uh, BDS problems in, in in the university. Do you think that's really the best approach for donors to be withdrawing funds from universities if they see events that they don't like? No, uh, absolutely not. Um, the... the, the the kind of uh, multiple sides on these issues are complex. So there are there are people who themselves are not uh, well versed in issues of academic freedom or freedom of speech, and they would come in with uh, heavy-handed methods and uh, kind of shut down people from speaking, and they would withdraw money, um, and they would think that that would do something to the university. It would, it would, it would make universities. Uh, faculty kind of draw the wagons in a circle and, and, and find common cause against such, such outside interferences. Um, we, uh, we work with people rather to get them to invest in the universities 
And one of the things that we, we find is if there's an Israel Studies program on campus um, that's separate from the Middle Eastern Department or separate from the Near Eastern Department, that's a kind of fact on the ground. That's a, that's a place where uh, Israel conversations that, that are real, that are, that, that are uh, even-handed, can take place uh, as opposed to the kind of programs that uh, people in politicized Middle Eastern departments would, would sponsor. So uh, we, we think a, a very important way to go is to create Israel Studies chairs, to create Israel Studies programs, um, to create broadened Jewish Studies programs where Israel Studies are part of Jewish Studies, um, to mainstream Israel Studies so that Israel is thought about as a case example in lots of uh, foreign policy courses and so forth. Um, the, the idea is to get uh, donors um, uh, to recognize, and it's not easy, um, that uh, they have to take some chances and, and, and put some funds towards changing the university structures um, and changing the, the dynamics of what takes place on campuses. Um, the general problem in this area that donors are very conservative. They're much more conservative politically than the people doing the work. Um, so part of our job is to steward that 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 function and to kind of uh, approach um, to donors um, that they have to think of these things in the way the faculty thinks of these things. If they want to have influence with the faculty, uh, influence with the administrators who work with the faculty, they have to um, not just think what they think is right and wrong, but they have to enter into the world of, of the university and the faculty. Um, we've had some success with that, but it's, it's never uh, a slam dunk. Now, let me ask you a sort of, let's call it ethical, moral question, right? So you're in favor of sp- free speech. Uh, BDS members are, are clearly not from from uh, their own particular political persuasion. And perhaps though it can be allowed on a campus, lots of people debating various ideas. But surely there's an argument to say that if somebody actually takes action, right? If they actually organize a boycott or throw someone out of a conference or, you know, create something where an academic, whoever they is, uh, cannot engage in their academic work, then that then is an action that they're taking, and that a counter-boycott against those people for the actions that they take is then an acceptable response. What is your view on that? Yeah, I, I, I don't go so far as to support a, a counter-boycott, um, because then that opens it up more broadly. Um, but I do support prosecuting people for discrimination. I do support prosecuting people for um, interfering with the academic freedom um, and free speech of others. Um, so if they disrupt the proceedings, uh, they should be arrested. Um, if they persist even in the, in the presence of the police, they should, you know, they should be prosecuted seriously. Um, well, I have no problem with it, with any of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and what's at stake is not merely the academic freedom of Israeli scholars. It's the academic freedom of American scholars who want to work with Israel. Who want to work with Israeli scholars? BDS um, boycotted. A, 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 I'm a Holocaust scholar. BDS um, boycotted the uh, conference on genocide that Hebrew University ran last summer, and at, at that point said that Yad Vashem was an institution that ought to be boycotted. Um, how do people like me do our work um, while the, uh, other people say that? The, we shouldn't go to Israel, we shouldn't go to Yad Vashem, we shouldn't 
uh, draw on Israeli resources, or should go to Israeli conferences. It's ridiculous. So they're, they're, they're violating a basic canon of American academia, and that is that um, you, you should study whatever you want, um, consistent with your standards of your discipline, and you should enter into that study with anyone you want. Um, so they're, 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 they're engaged in an effort to limit uh, the freedom of many scholars like myself. So um, that can get people motivated. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, and we're talking to Ken Walzer about academic boycotts and how to deal with it. We'll be back just after the break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. Benji Shulman here on the New Blue Review. And we're talking to Kenneth Walzer. We've been discussing the academic boycott. What is the Jewish community doing right? What is the Jewish community doing wrong? And uh, how can we more effectively fight uh, this attack on academic freedom that we're seeing at university campuses uh, in America and all around the world? And Ken, that's actually something that I want to ask you about. What is your view on let's call it other stakeholders in this conversation. A lot of this conversation has been around American faculty, American campuses. What is the role of non-Jews on campus? What is the role of uh, Israeli academics, UK academics, South Africans, (coughs) Australians? Where do international links in this discussion go? Well, I mean, that's just domestic. It's not just within one nation. It takes a specific form in each nation, and there's a specific timing in each nation. But I do recognize that this is part of a global effort. Um, I'm very friendly with Owen Tron, who's a former dean at Ben-Gurion University. And he went to Johannesburg uh, when the BDS was being pushed on campuses in South Africa. Kind of difficult appearance. He, he, he argued against them cutting off ties with Ben-Gurion, which they had. Um, so there's an issue in South Africa. Uh, I, I know because of our relations with David Hirsch, who ran the Engage Network, network um, in, uh, in Britain, um, that this stuff started earlier in Britain, and we've learned a lot by watching them uh, deal with this issue over the years. And now uh, uh, we have uh, good conversations about you know what's similar, what's different about England and the United States. So, so I think there's, there's a, a global. Um, conflict going on, um, but we also try to get the Israelis to understand a little bit better. They're a little bit obtuse sometimes. Um, and uh, um, so so we address those things as they come up. Uh, since we're mainly focused on America, though, uh, we don't take positions on what universities are doing in, in South Africa or, or what they're doing in, in, in England, but we watch it closely. Um, so if we see disruptions in England... Um, lots of disruptions happening here of free speech. Um, we, we know that this is something broader than just in, in the United States. Um, uh, I, I don't know, you know, down, down the road of what this global aspect of it means. Um, but, uh, those conversations are beginning to happen, uh, between us and people in Canada, between us and people in England. Um, uh, this conversation is my first time talking to South Africans, um, but it's part of a global, global conflict. Now, you as an organization, you offer lots of uh, resources to people who are trying to deal with this issue. What 
kind of stuff uh, if you're a faculty listen to the, to in, listening excuse me to this uh, would you say to people who maybe want to get involved help help out educate themselves well uh, one of the things we do is we have a micro grants program where you can apply for a fund um, to bring programs uh, events symposia panels films and stuff to your campus um, and the, the primary requirement is that they be about Israel, they be about uh, stirring robust conversation about Israel on campus. Um, so people who may not have lots of money or access to lots of money, especially in smaller places, um, can get a grant and uh, make something happen on their campus. We also provide professional development funds for people to uh, um, develop a new course on Zionism or a new course on uh, on settler colonialism or, or, or whatever to explore things in a critical way. Um, we provide funds for the development of exchange programs. Um, we, we have something going on at UC University of California, Davis, um, where they're, uh, they got, actually got the university to pitch in on it and they're getting grants for science projects that involve Israeli faculty and American faculty. Uh, we also give subventions for book publications, and we've given two this year, uh, one in the area of uh, the history of uh, contemporary history of, of anti-Semitism, the other one in, in what I called the silent uh, uh, boycott, uh, what happens to faculty who run afoul of PDS on campus, a series of biographical studies of what happened to people in the last couple of years as they came down on the wrong side on going to BDS and suffered the consequences for it on campus. Um, we also have a speakers bureau who bring in top-notch speakers on, on subjects. People can sign up for people and for, for subjects to come in. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff now on anti-Semitism. There's been a, a, a kind of rise in anti-Semitism on campus, some of it from the right since the election, but most of it from the left. Um, so we go around and talk about um, anti-Semitism of the left and anti-Semitism of the right. Um, and uh, um, we're starting a, a set of short courses so that people who may have been in Israel only once or twice in their lives um, in that considerable time ago can update their knowledge about contemporary Israel. Um, and uh, uh, we also give them some training in how to be effective in working uh, with faculty and with administrators on campus. And uh, we also tie in with some other groups. We don't provide support for this ourselves, but there are other groups um, that uh, help people to develop a kind of um, modicum of expertise in Israel studies. There's the Brandeis Shusterman Faculty Seminar at Brandeis, where people do two weeks of boot camp on Israel studies, and then they go spend 10 days in Israel. Um, and their commitment in doing that is to produce a new course that will be taught at the university um, afterwards. Um, wonderful programs been going on for 12 years now. They've produced something like 2,300 new faculty teaching Israel studies in American universities. Um, these are these are the kinds of things that make a lot of sense to us. So, if people would like to get hold of you, what is the best way to do that? Um, my email is ken at academicengagement, one word, dot org. Um, and uh, uh, I do have a, a, a phone, which is uh, area code 
Washington, 774-5810. And And of course, check out the website as well. It's got a lot of information on it. Um, Yeah, there's a website for the organization um, uh, or... Uh, real director in, in terms of direction of the organization is uh, chair of our board. His name is Mark Udoff. Um, he's one of the most outstanding administrators in higher education in the United States. He was the president of the University of Minnesota, and then of the University of Texas, and finally of the University of California system. So we have a, a practice uh, a person who can get us in a lot of places uh, with a phone call. Those doors open up. We don't have to do a protest uh, march outside and we get we get invited right in. Um, so we're working with administrators as well now, trying to integrate new ways of dealing with anti Semitism on campus into policy and practice on the campuses. Um, and that's something I, I personally since since I taught anti about anti Semitism, I have a special personal interest in doing. Well, there you go. Ken Walter, thank you so much for joining us on the new Blue Review, and uh, good luck with all your work dealing with this particular issue on campuses in America and around the world. Thank you, Benji. Really appreciate it. There we go. Ken Waltzer, he is from the Academic Engagement Network, and he was speaking to us there from Washington about that particular issue. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you've been listening on 101.9 Chai FM, chaifm.com, or indeed the Jerusalem Post, thank you to Mandy for helping to produce the show, to Vusi, who does all the sound, and to the station in general, Chai for helping us host it here. As usual, if you have criticisms, complaints, or even the occasional compliment, please let us know, benji at chai.co.za, and we will email you straight back within a week or two. And uh, also you can get us on Twitter at chaifm.com. If you tweet us, then we will definitely respond on that particular issue. Brings us to the end of the show. See you next week.